the bundled up version of the show. Can't remember doing the show at my house with the heater on in quite some time. Have had the heater on at a couple of our road trip hotels for USF women's basketball. Richmond, Virginia, Cincinnati come to mind. But first time here in Tampa in a while as we're taping this early on a Tuesday morning. It's in the 30s where I live in Lando Lakes. And fortunately, a lot of the sports these days are played indoors, even though I'm going to be checking out some sports outdoors with specifically tennis. I'm going to head over to tennis practice this afternoon, talk to head coach Christina Moros, add that to the list of teams that are about to get their seasons going. In fact, this weekend, so more on that coming up. Golf, I know, began practice on Friday, and we've got a little golf news for you as well. We'll cover it all here for you on the show. Got some cheerleading details. Got, of course, some basketball for you, and this segment will take a little bit of a deeper dive. I know that's kind of a become a cliche term, but anyway, that's what we'll do with women's basketball after that loss to UCF. You'll hear some highlights that made Betty Menunga a member of the American Athletic Conference Weekly Honor Roll. In our second segment, we'll preview tonight's men's basketball game at Houston, and I'll be explaining fully why I'm befuddled that a certain member of the Bulls wasn't on the conference honors this week. And we'll also hear the latest in what will be a line of my sit-downs with members of the baseball team, Jarrett Eaton today, who became known as Captain Clutch for his exploits in the postseason last year. And he did miss a large chunk of the regular season and frankly was a little bit of a non-factor. We get into that, but he was a major, major factor in what happened with the baseball team, which will be playing, oh, in a month now. It's all about to get hot and heavy. Softball will be the next team that we start to bring you play-by-play for. And we can officially say it is upcoming in about three weeks from today, Thursday, February the 10th, against Illinois State. Saw a great article on NCAA.com, which does a fantastic job, by the way. You can not only find national stats there, rankings, and we'll get into uh, rankings when it comes to women's basketball here in a little bit, but also feature articles. They summarize you know, big days in college basketball, such as Saturday was on the men's side. It was a busy weekend of women's action as well. And they had an article last week on 15 top college softball pitchers to watch in 2022, and you see some folks that the Bulls went up against last year, including the one that had them no hit in the first round of the regional, Elizabeth Hightower from UF. And when they get into Georgina Corrick, I did not realize this. She finished last year ranked top five in the nation with a .98 ERA, and basically her ERA last year is the lowest on their entire group of top 15 pitchers. In other words, returners from last year. She was fourth in the country in strikeouts with 333, and I did not realize this, first in the country in shutouts with 15. So quite an amazing pitcher that the Bulls have. She seems like she'll have a little bit more help this year, but no doubt we'll be getting the ball in all the important games, which are pretty soon. Getting ready to broadcast plenty of softball for you on Bulls Unlimited. Speaking of events that are upcoming, we of course have the men's basketball game at Houston tonight. The women are hosting Tulsa tomorrow. And then on Saturday, both teams are at home. It's a doubleheader, kind of a, not say split doubleheader, it's a noon and a three. During both games, the USF national champion co-ed cheerleading team will be performing its national champion routine. How about that? If you want to get out to the Yingling Center this week, you're going to see something special. The men play Temple at noon. The women play Temple at 3. Which, incidentally, I'm stunned that not more teams are doing that. 
This is the only case where two teams are playing on the same day at the Yingling Center. That's this Saturday, so make your plans. Good article on GoUSFBulls.com on how not only the cheerleading team did what it did, winning the national title at Walt Disney's Wide World of Sports, but how they basically took a long time off from national competition, 13 years, and in 2017, a year after they returned, they were 12th in the country, and frankly, at these events, that's about how many teams in full take part. You can't have 50 cheerleading squads. The thing would take forever. And then 8th in 2018, got into the top five the next two years, and then last year, it was number one in the country, and again, the other day. Some cool video put out by the USF Athletics Twitter feed, if you didn't see it, of the actual moment when they announced the winner. Actually, the moment when they knew they had won, you could see it because Alabama was announced as the second-place team, and the Bulls kind of knew that that meant they were number one. I guess that's kind of what they do at pageants. That's why they announce the winner as opposed to the runner-up, right? Is that how they do it? I haven't watched a pageant in a long time. Either way, once Alabama was announced as the second-place team in the country, the Bulls went crazy, and it was cool to see. Cool to see this, too. Before we get into basketball, former Bulls women's golfer Shelby Brockmuller, who is from Auburndale, and started off her career at Vanderbilt four years, played last year her graduate season at USF, made her debut at an event in Eustis, The Black Bear Golf Club is hosting the Dare the Bear Women's Championship. This is the East Coast Women's Pro Golf Tour. Basically, it's a satellite tour to feature players that are aspiring to an LPGA career one day. And, well, Shelby, off to a decent start. In a field of 46 golfers, she is in first place after the first round. Shot a 200 par, 70, in fact. Only Mohan Du out of Beijing, China, also shot under par at this event. Everyone else, no better than one over par. I actually see some familiar names. Elizabeth Moon, who was a standout for UCF, is right there at four over par. So, so far, so good in the professional career of Shelby. Brockmuller will obviously be keeping an eye on her. She is scheduled to tee off on this chilly Tuesday. Not exactly golfing weather day, but hopefully it warms up as she was set to begin in the final group at 1045. So on the Monday show, we featured plenty of the win in the war on I-4, which we're still replaying, of course, on the channel. And yeah, we're still replaying the women's loss in the war on I-4. Wasn't going to do what the um, folks on the UCF men's basketball Twitter feed and just take their ball and go home and not tweet at all during the second half. Like, I don't know, did the broadcasters stop broadcasting? Did the UCF players stop playing? Did the coaches stop? Well, the coaches did stop coaching at the end of the game. My point is... We're not just going to, because it's a loss, say, well, we don't want to play that again. It does give you an idea of how things broke down. So we're not going to have to fully recap that here for you. But the main difference to me was UCF just, and I've said this on Twitter, being able to convert its mid-range jumpers. Even heard their head coach, Katie Abrahamson Henderson, on their post-game interview. And she had a media session where she was very complimentary of the Bulls. I got to tell you, there was a way too long of a review for a moment that I don't even think was much to review. It took like five minutes, but during the review, it was something, and we talked about it on the air Sunday afternoon, to see Coach Abe and Jose Fernandez sort of come together, arms around each other. They don't hate each other. They're, in fact, big-time respect going on, and I would not be stunned, in fact, of all the sports to continue the rivalry with UCF going to the Big 12. I would be stunned if women's basketball is not one of the first that gets renewed anyway. What she said in her post-game media session was basically they hit those shots. And the previous game against Houston, 
Diamond Battles was 0 for 7, and she does not try that many threes. She usually goes for drives when she can, but settles for jumpers, and she was in a zone. There was a time, in fact, the third quarter was the time where they were 6 for 12 from the floor, and she attempted half of those 12 shots and pretty much made them all. 10 points in the third quarter when UCF basically did not allow the Bulls a sniff at getting back into the game. And when I say she doesn't take a lot of threes, she does try some. Not a great percentage, but the other day, yep, three for three. And speaking of that, Tay Sanders, her second leading scorer, was four for 28. She sank one in the second quarter as the Knights, yeah, it was just that kind of game. So the rankings came out on Monday, the AP rankings anyway. And I'm not going to complain per se, but I can't believe it that USF is still ahead of the Knights in the rankings. 14 votes, so in effect, 30th place UCF. Nine votes, as opposed to zero last week. This is the writers, and it's great that USF has that level of respect, but they did fall out of the top 25, as we figured they would. Incidentally, I saw that elsewhere on Sunday, and there were so many games. If a 67-51 loss is cause for alarm to you, keep in mind that Maryland, which was ranked 8th in the country and at home, lost by 20 points to Michigan, which has now jumped Maryland in the rankings into the top 10. So my point is, every now and then, if you come up against a team that's strong and the rankings don't necessarily show it, there's not that ranking next to UCF's name, but trust me, the Knights are a great team. And one team is hitting its shots and maybe a little bit more motivated based on losing the conference championship to the Bulls last year, you're probably going to lose, and the margin might not be pretty. And that's exactly what happened. In the end, the Bulls are going to have a chance next month to get it back against UCF. It's not even a guarantee at this point that the Bulls are going to win the regular season title. They have a much tougher schedule as far as the opponents in the league. There's more losses to be had just because teams like Memphis and Wichita and Tulsa and Temple are improved over last year. And we'll see and talk more about Tulsa tomorrow. My point is... The Bulls are just not going to be able, I don't think, to put together a type of a final resume that gets them anywhere near being able to host a regional. So you can sort of set your sights on what the Bulls can do the rest of the way and set themselves up for being successful in the NCAA tournament. The good news is, unlike previous years, there's not a team in the state of Florida that's going to be hosting a regional. So we're actually going to get a true seed and a true bracket placement. Whereas in many years past, the Bulls were basically put on a bus because the NCAA, anytime they have a chance to have a team not have to get on a plane and basically save a little bit of money, stay in state, that's what happens. The 2018 NCAA tournament immediately springs to mind because the Bulls were sent to Tallahassee as a sixth seed where the Knolls were a three seed. And there's no way the Bulls should have been a sixth seed. They should have been a four or five. Well, last year... In San Antonio, still don't understand how the Bulls ended up being an eighth seed, but it does have to prepare you for the fact that a similar thing could happen this year. Even if the Bulls win their conference, they're probably going to be on the fringes of the top 25. And if you do the math, well, the top 24 should all be, what, seeded one through six. If you're on the fringe, you are in the seven seed range. And who knows, due to bracketing, due to geography with other teams, that could knock you down to an eighth seed, and then you're having to play one of the number one seeds, again, possibly in the second round. It's what happened to the Bulls last year. They beat Washington State in a very tight first-round game and then played a very good NC State team, which is still among the nation's best this year, and lost a competitive contest. 
What I'm sensing is that the Bulls are going to end up in that 6-8 to eight seed range. If they win out, they'll do better than that. But if they throw in a couple of losses, which with this schedule, again, an improved American Athletic Conference schedule you think could happen, then they could slide, yeah, back into that 8-9 game. Something tells me that they're going to head in the NCAA tournament to a place that's in the SEC as an 8-9 seed. It could be Columbia, South Carolina, which would be scary because I think South Carolina is so good. I don't think they'd be sent out west or anything like that. Definitely some teams out west will be hosting regionals like Stanford and Arizona. I say SEC, maybe it could be a Knoxville again, even though the Bulls played Tennessee. Maybe the committee would take that into consideration and not send them there. Louisville's a possibility, obviously a non-SEC team. There are a lot of SEC teams in the top 25. LSU's having a strong year. Georgia as well. The Bulls have seen how strong the SEC is. In fact, Ole Miss is ranked ahead of the Bulls, deservedly so. Missouri, the team that beat South Carolina, has fallen out of the rankings. That shows you how tough that league is. My point is the Bulls aren't where we thought they were going to be. We figured they would be competing for a top four seed line, meaning at home for the first rounds of the NCAA tournament. That was the ultimate goal. That was the whole point of the scheduling that Jose Fernandez did with his team to get them to a point where they don't get into that 8-9 game. Unfortunately, they are trying to play themselves back out of that possible territory, but they're back into that territory. And if you're a pessimist and you're worried, well, what if they really go on a slide Is there a chance they might not make the tournament? That is definitely the worst scenario. And I'll tell you, and you might not know this, I wouldn't worry about it unless, again, they just lose a bunch of games because of what's happening elsewhere. And I took stock in the national outlook. Of course, the power conferences are going to get most of the at-large bids. So what you look for is you look for those mid-majors and how many of those conferences have teams Basically, that would get at larges. Those are the teams that could knock you off the bubble if they don't win their conference tournament. And frankly, there's not that many. The West Coast Conference has Gonzaga and BYU. Missouri State's having a strong year. FGCU is an example in the A-Sun, and they got tested by Liberty the other day. They were down by 10 in the fourth quarter. So just a sprinkling of teams like that that you want to pull for to go ahead and win their conference tournaments. South Dakota, Princeton, maybe even look at a conference like the Big East. They're pretty much in the same range as the American, which is ironic with UConn being the lead dog there now that two, three teams maybe. But leagues that you would assume maybe could be multi-bid leagues or not. Mountain West Conference is a good example. Their best teams are ranked in the 90s. So overall outlook is good. And in case you're really worried, if you missed this, the NCAA has expanded the women's field to 68 teams this year. So there's a little bit more room there at the end of the bubble. Don't worry about that. Just see if the Bulls can put it back together. Now, they definitely got inspiring performances last week, more so at Tulane and a couple at UCF, and a player who filled both roles was Betty Menunga, and rightfully, she was on the American Athletic Conference weekly honor roll. Here's some of her work against the Green Wave last week. Menunga, baseline jumper and a nice one from the left side, unguarded. You are going to get that shot against a 2-3 zone if you move the ball, and Menunga can make that shot. It is 11-4 Bulls. They have made five of their seven shots. Menunga pops out. Could have gotten called for a foul, but Freeman makes the shot. Anyway, Crystal Freeman starting to heat up. She is very talented, and Tulane has its biggest lead at 19-14. Freeman, again, one of the fifth-year players all at Tulane. Urson, another fifth-year player, and they're not intimidated by anything, and they want to get their first win against the Bulls. Menunga with a flash. That looks like a good jump shot, and it is. She can make that... 
12 to 15 footer. It is going to be there. Wide open to Schnecke from the right side. Oh, misses, but Betty's there for the rebound, puts it up and in. Good second chance point there by Betty, who had a chance at an assist go awry, but gets an offensive rebound and a putback. Monunga now, six points and five rebounds, and it's 26 to 23. So Bulls ball under the basket, 54 seconds to go in the half down two. As I was going to say, if they could have this thing tied, much less the lead at halftime, you'd feel pretty good about things. Shea Leverett gets the ball, hands it to Maria Alvarez. Wants to drive, a nice bounce pass to Betty Mononga, and one! There you go, what a good look by Maria. She already has three assists tonight. And Betty Mononga becomes the second bull to hit double figures and can give them the lead with the free throw here. It's tied at 29. And she does. They go to the foul line. Sydney Harvey's got to take that shot. Looks long, and it is. But right to Betty Menunga. That is a break. Sydney Harvey is 0 for 4, and that was well off. But Betty Menunga had the position and gets the rebound. And the Bulls in that, I would say little, but pretty relevant 6 nothing run. Pins on, misses the first, and misses the second. Elisa Pinzon misses both free throws. I believe those were the technicals. And, of course, there was a common foul. Okay, those were the common foul, and she misses them both. Now, Betty Menunga is actually going to shoot the technicals. Who would have seen this? She makes it. So Elisa Pinzon, a 90% free throw shooter, misses her two, and Betty Menunga, who is in a rhythm, makes her two. And the Bulls have an 11-point lead and the ball. Off to Freeman, looks short, and it is. Shea Leverett flies in for the rebound. Bulls have it. Pins on up to Betty Mononga. Fast break, and lay it up and in. That's going to do it. Betty Mononga gets her 26th point. Which, again, was a career high. Now, there weren't a whole bunch of highlights against UCF, but she definitely could be included among them. And we'll start off with the audio of the highlight from UCF side of things, but how Manunga sort of snuck in afterwards and followed it up with one of her own and was a big part of what ended up being a nice fourth quarter for the Bulls. Again, they were down too much at the beginning of this game, so they weren't going to win, but Manunga, I give her a lot of credit, and this effort definitely cemented her spot on the weekly honor roll for the American. Battles has the ball, wants to pull up on Maria, but... Has to get rid of it, didn't quite have control there. Lewis, the point guard, has it. She can pull a course. To the tune of six made threes against the Bulls last year in one game. Pinzon stays out on her. Nice little crossover, two on the shot clock. Lewis puts Pinzon on the ground, and you heard the reaction. UCF, I'm surprised they're not being a little more cocky, to be truthful, because she put Pinzon on rollerblades. Pinzon wants to answer with the three misses. Great job by Manunga getting the rebound and the putback. So they already put that highlight up of the Lewis long two that embarrassed Pinzon, but Manunga with a sturdy answer, and it's back to a 17-point margin. I would imagine, as opposed to the UCF men's basketball Twitter feed that had no tweets during the second half, you're going to see that video quickly on Twitter. I mean quickly. Thomas, good defender on her. Manunga oh, gets her shot rejected, gets the ball back. Still battling for it, goes up strong and puts it in. That's good stuff from Betty Benunga. Got her shot rejected by an outstanding shot blocker, Destiny Thomas. Last year led the team with 18 blocks. But Manunga showing some fight out there, and that's what you're looking for right now. 
Maria thinks about a three. There's only three minutes left. You're going to start having to pull some of these shots. Maria instead goes for a tough two. Minoga gets the rebound and gets fouled. Crowd didn't like that one. But that is going to give Betty a double-double and a trip to the free throw line. Crowd didn't like it because they're starting to get a little bit, call it nervous, but a modicum of concern. As the Bulls have outscored the Knights 13-6. That's the funny part. Not with us early. UCF, you think of a team that plays such pressure defense that they would get tired and struggle at the end of halves, but you can see how they work. They don't always press you and trap you. Second free throw is good. It's a 12-point game. But... Basically, the second and the fourth quarters are the one where they vastly outscore their opponents, and the Bulls are outscoring them 15-6 to six right now. It's an 8-0 run. So footnote, of course, that shake-and-bake move was on Twitter probably before I ended that sentence. Secondly, even Coach Abe on UCF's side said how impressed she was with Betty Menunga, just a double-double machine. She went for 12 points and 11 rebounds. She hit 10 of 11 free throws. You heard that wild sequence against Tulane. So she averaged 19 points, 11 and a half rebounds, and threw in five assists, and hit 92.3% from the free throw line. Betty on the weekly honor roll. The men have a tough draw tonight against Houston. We'll also have my chat with Jared Eaton of baseball. That's when we return on Bulls Beat.